Can you hear me now? Oh yeah, that's better. Good morning. Welcome to the Eugene Church of Christ. Inside, outside, internet side, wherever side we find you. Fireside. Don't we have a fireside room? I don't know why we have a fireside room. There's no fire anywhere that I know of in this building. Some old tradition, maybe. All right, we are glad to have you. If you're visiting or back again fresh or keep kind of coming and slogging along with us, uh, we're glad that you're here. And I do hope we are finding ways to let the light in in our lives. You know, uh, we sing those words, Oh, there's sunshine in my soul, blessed sunshine in my I'm just saying what I saw out here a little bit. So somehow we need to let that become a reality of our lives because that is the treasure that is available to us in Christ Jesus. So we're continuing on in our series in Acts and uh, I've been loving digging around in here and I've never studied Acts at this level before and so this has been a whole lot of fun for me. And I th I'm surprised how relevant a lot of these lessons are for us. So we are with Paul. Remember, he is uh, in front of the Jewish people. They're trying to lynch him. A Roman commander comes and rescues him. His life is in the, on the line. And that's kind of where we left off last week. But he is given this chance to share... Um, to share a testimony before the people. And the Holy Spirit has crafted Paul so that he is the perfect guy for this special pregnant moment of time. And uh, he is the guy who can speak Greek to the Roman commander and get a chance to address the people. He is the Hebrew of Hebrews who's able to uh, say, I am the, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. I've been trained. I speak Aramaic. That gives him this chance to make Jesus Christ look, look good. So the Spirit uniquely qualifies people for the tasks that they are given. And then Paul starts into this defense that really doesn't sound like a defense at all. Because he's not even interested, it seems, in refuting false claims against him. Uh, rather, he, he's operating with a whole different kind of defense. His defense strategy is, I want to make you look good, Lord Jesus. And that's such a rare thing for us to actually stop operating our lives around a narrative of self-preservation. Because that's what we're taught in this world. Take care of number one. And if you got to stomp on a few throats along the way to get your way, hey, that's just the way it is instead of a narrative of sacrifice and service and humility. See, what Paul does in this defense, it is a word of great humility that he shares. See, his greatest zeal, persecuting Christians, it became his greatest shame when he discovered who Jesus Christ really was. But that shame in the hands of Jesus Christ became his testimony, a testimony that changed lives around him. 
So that was the third kind of takeaway about why would Paul make a defense like this? And I think this is true for us as well. The place of your greatest failure, the place of your greatest pain, your greatest brokenness, in the hands of Jesus, these things become a testimony. And you get to proclaim, I was in this dark place, and this is what Jesus Christ did to save me. This is how Jesus came to help me in my life. And if you, if you put that in the hands of Jesus and you humble yourself with the reality of the mess of who you are, the Lord is able to take that and use that as a blessing to bring healing to others. So I had shared this quote as well from Henry now, and our glory is hidden in our pain. If we allow God to bring the gift of himself in our experience of it, when the Lord steps into even the places of our brokenness and shame, even there, he is able to do a work to heal and to change and to help us tell a new story. And our story uh, is not so much about what a wretch Calvin is. The story becomes, look at how Jesus took this mess of a life and has used it to heal other people. That's the possibility that we have through Christ living in us with the Holy Spirit. So this week, we kind of continue in the middle of this high-speed narrative with all of the stuff flying, you know. Uh, Paul is, is before this crowd. He's being protected by the Romans, but this, these people, after he addresses them, his, they're saying, he's not fit to live. Rid the earth of him. Get rid of this guy. And so uh, that's where we left off last week. As they were shouting and throwing their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul be taken into the barracks, and he directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. So this poor Roman commander is trying to figure out what is this ruckus about? Why is it whenever they show the face of Paul in front of these people, things just go sideways? I don't know if you've seen a crowd of people ripping clothes off and throwing dust in the air. And I don't care what culture you're from, and even if you don't speak the language, you know something's not right. Something's up. So this commander, he's got to figure out what is going on here. And so as a, centuri- as a tribune, he refer- uh, reverts to uh, tools in his tool bag. Um, that which, and, and his assumption is of guilt of someone here. Because you have to be a guilty person to t- produce this kind of turmoil and this kind of ruckus. And so he reverts to tools in his tool bag as a soldier. And uh, he's going to beat the answers out of Paul. He's going to beat him and figure out what the truth of this all is. So flogging is apparently a useful method into getting people to talk. It loosens the tongue. They start telling stories. Maybe they're not true. Maybe they are. But apparently there's some experience that he's had that flogging works this way. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. 
the commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. And then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. That even trumps buying a citizenship when you're born into the empire uh, as a part of it. So uh, this is an important thing. So notice, first of all, how cagey Paul is, how crafty he is. He waits until the Jews are no longer present before he reveals that he's a Roman because it wouldn't help his case in that setting with a bunch of Jews who already think he's discarding the law because he's such a Gentile lover. To say he's a Roman citizen would just add volatility to that situation. But now alone, he's not going to take this beating for no reason. He doesn't have a death wish. He doesn't he doesn't want to just face harm and, and be flogged because there's some merit in being flogged. But Roman citizens were accorded certain rights that not everyone had. Uh, and the text doesn't tell us how in this case Paul proves his citizenship. But this is the second time Paul has re- uh, appealed to his citizenship. Remember the first time when he's mistreated by, uh, he's thrown into the uh, jail in Philippi, the Philippian jailer, and they agree to release him quietly. And, and Paul's like, They mistreated me. I was not given a fair due process here. They beat me, a Roman citizen. And they all freak out and they come and they appease him and gently lead him out of that situation in Philippi. And now Paul is playing his citizenship card again. But now the tribune can't do this, can't do the beating to get the answers that he wants to get. So he still hasn't figured out what is all of this ruckus about? Why are the Jews going crazy around Paul? And so he comes up with another plan. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately, and the commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. So this is his, his plan B that he wants to, to, or I guess plan C. He's still trying to figure out what's going on, the poor guy. So Paul is brought in before the Sanhedrin. Um, how is it that a Roman tribune could order the Sanhedrin to meet? Uh, I think the, the Sanhedrin wanted to have an opportunity to deal with this as well. The, they wanted to squelch this situation with Paul and they're given a chance to do that. So yeah, we're going to meet and we're going to... And so Paul just begins to give a defense and he can hardly get a few words out of his mouth before the heart of judgment that is against him is already being revealed. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I I have fulfilled my duty in God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, 
God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourselves violate the law by commanding that I be struck. And those who were standing near Paul said, you dare to insult God's high priest? Um, Just as a side note, Ananias, in the record of Josephus, this Jewish historian, he is known as a a high priest who who didn't always act like a high priest. He was a hothead uh, by Jewish uh, records even of his responses to things. And it was a highly politicized position that he was in. And still, Paul... You know, when he's struck, he speaks out against this person. And they said, you dare to insult the high priest? And Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. How, why would he? Because he's not acting like a high priest should act. <laughs> For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. And so even Paul reigns it in a little bit then. So then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, he called out in the Sanhedrin. So at that point, just get the scene. He is in this hostile audience of people who have already pronounced judgment on him. There's no justice here in this place for Paul. And he's cagey enough and witty enough to realize that. And he's, he's hanging on by a thread of security from this Roman Greek Romans who are trying to figure out the situation and uh, it's just a volatile situation and so Paul reads the room and he acts shrewdly and wisely once again Paul knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees called out in the Sanhedrin my brothers I am a Pharisee the son of a Pharisee I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead so is, it, is this true? Yeah, it's true, but it's not exactly the charges that were against him. But technically, this, everything that Paul says is true with all of this. So we're going to spend a little bit more time with this about the adeptness of how Paul manages circumstances around him. This is not a guy who has a death wish. He is not trying to be a martyr. He's trying to honor God and follow Jesus Christ. But I'm, I'm going to just kind of put that on hold a little bit because we could say a lot more about that, about how we are to live with wisdom, with the games that this world plays and the things that they throw against us. We have to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And there's some lessons there that we need to embrace as, as disciples of Jesus. It doesn't just mean that... Uh, you are suddenly a doormat for the world because that's not true humility either. So anyway, we'll talk more about that. But right now, I want to uh, focus on this next verse because when I read this next verse, this whole section, it all changed for me. And when I read this next verse, tears came to my eyes. And... I saw things differently than I had before. So I'm, I'm really excited to share this. What happens next is Jesus Christ comes again. Jesus shows up on the scene. And he's together with Paul in that Roman barracks. I don't know how I, I just, 
I had missed this for years somehow. I remembered him accusing Paul and saying, why, why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus, and blinding him. I remember that story. I didn't remember the stories of the way that Jesus comes and people's greatest pain in the time of greatest need to stand beside them, to give them encouragement, to give them comfort. So this is the third time now that Jesus has shown up to Paul. So let me back up a little bit. Uh, the dispute broke out with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The, the, the audience was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, that there's neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And then there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if, this, what if a spirit or angel has spoken to him? And the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them, and he ordered the troops to go down and take him away by force and bring him into the barracks. So Paul throws this red herring out there. He throws this, uh, this argument. He ties his argument to an existing volatile uh, argument that is already there, and things are explosive. But now we have Pharisees standing up. We find nothing wrong with him because we acknowledge the resurrection of the dead. And so it becomes this internal dispute. The Roman commander, once again, has no idea what's going on, but it's even more violent that he's afraid that this guy's going to get torn to pieces and pulls him out. And now, when he's back in these barracks, in a hard way, isolated, alone, Jesus steps into the scene. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul. Stood near him. Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This word to take courage, to take heart. We've already heard Jesus speak this word. The same word in Greek is used other places. Uh, when the disciples uh, go on ahead of Jesus and they're, they're caught in kind of a storm in the night on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus comes walking to them in the water and the people in the boat, the disciples in the boat, they're scared to death and they think it's a ghost. Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. This is the same word used in John's gospel in verse six, uh, chapter 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. Take courage. I have overcome the world. So it's the same word that Jesus has that he shares with Paul in Paul's time of need now. This is, this is just what Jesus does. This is the beauty of the character of Jesus Christ. He comes with all the encouragement that we need when we are engaging ourselves to do the tasks that he calls us to do. But there are people, even people in the church, that think, you know what, Jesus has never shown up for me in my time of need. And I want to ask, 
were you sticking, sticking your neck out for Jesus? What were you doing to serve Jesus? But you know what? With, with the Lord, even not all of that matters. It's not like any of us gets this by earning it, or by, by works or merit. It's all grace to us. But God, this is mind-boggling to me. The God of the universe binds himself to creation in certain ways. If Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, he was involved in the creation. He is, the Lord. He is holding all the cards. And yet he binds himself to us in certain ways. He binds himself to us in love. He binds himself to us in his promises. He binds himself to us when we are in pain, when no one else can reach us. Jesus is able to stand with us and feel our pain. For those who are searching for him, there are promises of God that he will be found. For those who are struggling to serve him, he gives special support and encouragement to them. You know, this is the, char the character of Jesus is the character of God the Father. They are, they are the same character, the same heart. And it's why the psalmist could write these words. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. God, the creator of the universe, binds himself in a relationship of love to each one of us. That's mind-boggling. Draw near to people. Drawing near to people in their time of need. This is just what Jesus does. That's the character of Jesus Christ. And he even does it when he's supposed to be dead and gone already. He, we killed that guy. We hung him on a cross. We put him in the ground. Jesus came back to life. And he, he goes and he encourages people when he's supposed to be dead and gone. That is the mystery that we carry, that we live in that legacy as well. And so I think about the ways that there's so many stories about God, how he comes to people. And, and this is a special way that he comes to us. You want to experience the closeness and intimacy of the Lord the Lord can be found in certain addresses, I would say. And one of those is www.endofmyrope.com. That's where Jesus steps in. That's where your God finds you and meets you and ministers to you and encourages you. And so I think of other stories about, there are so many, and I can't go over 
all of the ones that, I mean, it's just the character of God. But one that came to mind, I was thinking of after the resurrection as well. When Mary Magdalene goes and finds this tomb empty, assuming someone had robbed the tomb and had been playing a game with the body of her beloved who was her Lord. And she wants to know what happened to him. And the other disciples leave and she stays behind and she's weeping. She's crying. She has no hope. Her hope has been killed. And Jesus comes. And he stands near her. He says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, teacher, she cannot comprehend who is there in front of her talking to her. And in her, great, uh, her, her, her greatest pain and her greatest need, she finds the comfort of someone who shouldn't be there able to comfort her. And I think that's what's going on with Paul in this situation as well. This is the third time that Jesus has appeared to Paul. The first time is this Damascus trip where he's blinded and uh, he's given a mission. He's, the Lord appears to him in such a way that just overwhelms it and Paul in a moment realizes, I have been playing on the wrong team my entire life and everything is upside down. That's the one that we remember. But there's also other times that he has, has come to him. Uh, that reference there is supposed to say, I put 1 Corinthians, that's a mistake. I think that's Acts 18, 9 through 10. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Remember that time in Corinth. And so Paul stays a year and a half after having this vision of the Lord and hearing these words from Jesus. And now this third time. So we could spend more time talking about the adeptness of how Paul navigates the circumstances of his life, how cagey and crafty he is. But I'm, I'm too excited to just kind of focus in on this second lesson of the text for us today. See, we, we tend to think of Paul as this superhuman, stubborn, unstoppable force. Paul doesn't have feelings. He crushes feelings. He walks all over feelings. He's not a touchy-feely guy. We get this image of Paul that he's just this bulldozer. 
immune to all of the social turbulence that he creates around him. He is a guy who makes waves. And we think he's immune to his effect, uh, immune to the effect of all the waves and turmoil he causes. And I don't think we fully appreciate the hardships this man went through. We don't fully appreciate the humility of this man. The humility and hardships that he faced proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ at all costs, no matter what. All of the emotional weight, all of the suffering that he had endured. Paul, there are people who loved Paul, who loved him and knew he was the real deal. But Paul was a despised man. Think about all that this man had been through and has, has yet to go through. Riots in Antioch. This is just at this point here, up to this point. Riots in Antioch, stoning in Lystra, beatings in Philippi, more riots in Thessalonica. In Berea, he's run out of town. Court cases and anti-Jewish violence in Corinth that he faces. Violent riots in Ephesus. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. He wants to go and appear before them and the people won't let him. They, he, they, he'll probably get torn apart. And now he's, Paul's having to change his travel plans because they're trying to create ambushes for him. There are people who are so zealous to murder this man that they take a vow, we are not going to eat again until we kill him. Now Paul is in this place where this Jewish mob has just tried to beat him to death and the Roman, centurion, the Roman tribune sees what's going on and gets in there quick enough after they shut the gates, gets in there quick enough that they're able to pull Paul out of that. And the, the soldiers literally have to carry them, him out above their... That's what Paul has just been through. He was nearly flogged. And that's what Paul has just been through. And then he goes to make a defense. And he, before he can say hardly any words, he's ordered by the high priest of all people to be struck like he is speaking blasphemy. And Paul realizes there's no justice here even for me. And so he throws this red herring. He lets them chase this, this rabbit, this, this other thing as a way to kind of get out of that situation. And they have to carry him out of there. You think about a Roman tribune. You know, maybe they don't know what's going on as far as, but if you would think that a professional soldier knows danger and can recognize violence, and when a soldier thinks this guy is about to be torn apart. What would that scene be like? That you pull him out of there by force because this is about to go a whole nother direction. And so think about Paul, where he is in that moment, in that point. We all think of Paul as a superhero. And we don't think about, what about the emotional weight of all of this? What about the psychological component of facing that kind of hatred and violence by people who want you dead and that constant danger? 
What are the spiritual weight of all of these things pressing down? And it's in that, in that moment of the next night, after Paul is alone with these thoughts and this thinking, after Paul is thinking about all of these things that have gone on, The Lord knows the perfect time when to step in. Jesus' timing is always perfect. And he comes and he is there for Paul in his moment of greatest need. And he says, take courage. Take courage. See, Paul's faithfulness time and time again had created habits of faithfulness in Paul's heart. Even still, all of the things that are being thrown at him, the hatred that he's faces, uh, he faces day in and day out, those are heavy things. Those are heavy things. But when Jesus comes and stands beside you, you suddenly feel like you can do anything. I can go on. I don't need a break. I can do this. The ways that Jesus comes and stands beside you in your time of greatest need, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to perceive, He comes and He rescues us. He comes and He encourages us. He gives us the hope we need to take the next step, to draw the next breath to look for his mercies that come new every morning when yesterday was hell. So Paul, notice, he receives another promotion. He was told by the Holy Spirit, you will testify about me in Jerusalem. He is faithful to make God look good. And so the Lord Jesus comes in his time of need, stands beside him to give him further encouragement. Paul, you're going to testify about me in Rome. You're going to have more pulpits, more places to stand, more opportunities to speak, more opportunities to testify to my goodness and the goodness of your Father in heaven. That is your reward, Paul, for your faithfulness. And so Paul, he is the winner of an all-expenses-paid, he's about to be the winner of an all-expense-paid trip to Rome courtesy of the Roman government. It's probably not as luxurious as what you're picturing. In fact, I'm sure it's not. So our first Turk takeaway from today's lesson, uh, and then we'll be done. Paul's shrewdness in dealing with the real world situations that come against him. He's not above using his citizenship. He's not above hitching his case to a hotbed issue uh, in a setting where there is no justice for him. He's, he's, a, he's willing to let him go chase this, this rabbit. But our second takeaway, uh, I think the encouragement that Jesus gives Paul in his time of need, I believe that that's available to each one of us as well. There are people in this room who have testimonies about how the Lord Jesus has done this for you. And it may not be the exact way 
that it happened for Paul with a physically standing beside and speaking like face-to-face kind of thing. But the Lord Jesus, he still is with us. He still comes to us. He still provides the encouragement that we need. It's because the God of the universe is bound to us in a relationship of love. And he loves us better than we love him. we stick our necks out and live our lives to honor Jesus Christ he's going to stand beside us and give us the encouragement we need to do the tasks that he calls us to that's true for you individually that's true for us as a community of faith as a church the Lord Jesus gives us everything that we need he's not stingy he's not holding back he's bound to us in love he's bound to the promises that he has given to us in his holy scriptures But I think the problem that we face and a lot of churches face um, is there are a lot of Christians who are just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come and stand beside us to tell us what to do. Lord, just come beside me and tell me what to do and then I'll act. Just come and give us another divine pep talk, please, Lord. Because you haven't said anything. And I promise if you come and talk to me this time, I, won't, I promise I won't take you for granted anymore. Just give me proof, and then I will take the risk to act. And you might think, yeah, I would never say something like that, but you've already said it with the way you're living your life. But it's when we obey. It's when we step out in faith again. When we are knocked down and we get back up and say, here I am, Lord. It is in our faithfulness and obedience we discover all the ways. Jesus, he's been standing right beside us all along. He heals us of our blindness and we see he has been carrying us the whole way twenty twenty has been a hard year for us can I hear an amen and we are going to patiently wait on the Lord to finish the shakeup that he is doing this year. I think there's more coming. But I've already been talking with the elders and by God's grace in 2021 we're going to do a reboot here in this church. We're going to do a reboot. This isn't tomorrow. We're going to talk about this and take a look at what this means. But things have got to change. I think if this year has shown us anything, business as usual is not business as usual anymore. We're going to take an honest look at what has been working and what has not been working. And what we've been doing has not been working.
It's not been working. And we're going to be honest about that. And we're going to put that before the Lord. We are going to lament our losses. People are being stripped away from this church and have been for a long time now. The revolving door of a church. We're going to lament everything we've lost. And then we're going to count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're going to start and say, hey, Lord, here we are. This is who's left after this crazy year. This is who, who is left, who is still willing to come and be here and be a part of this fellowship. And it might be discouraging. But we're going to give that to the Lord. And we're going to say, show us what's next, Lord. And we're going to celebrate in our humility and in our smallness. We're going to celebrate everything that the Lord has done to bring us this far. And after we have those honest conversations with each other about what does it mean to be a part of this church? What does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We're going to throw out a new mission purpose for this congregation. And we're going to invite everyone who's willing to, to run hard after that vision. And the Lord will get us there. He'll get us there. And I think good things are coming. Good things are coming. But that's just me as your preacher sharing. We've been given a challenge and we've been given an opportunity. And our call is to be faithful. And we need to find ways to do better. We need to find ways to do better. So our invitation this morning, that's it, that's your sermon. Our invitation is to look for the lessons the Spirit wants to teach you in your life. Lynn, look to the example of our brother Paul. And just see how Paul puts his life on the line for Jesus. Ask yourself the question, how have I put my life on the line for Jesus Christ? And also consider and reflect upon the ways that in our times of greatest need, maybe you're in the dark right now and you don't see Jesus anywhere. But Jesus always gets the last word. And you can hope in that. Our invitation is to look for the ways that Jesus, he comes and he stands beside us in our times of greatest need. And there are people in this congregation who can testify that to that. I can testify to that. And if you want to be a part of this story, of the story of this church, of the story of what Jesus Christ is doing to rescue and ransom this world away from terror and destruction to find new life, if you want to be a part of that story, this is a place where you always have an opportunity to put Christ on in baptism, to proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ through this act of baptism, which is an act of grace. And then you can let us know if you need confession, if you need the prayers of this church, whatever needs you have. We always offer that invitation. If you don't take advantage of it in front of this group, you can take advantage of it on a one, come to the elders, come to me, come. Just come, find ways to come. Share what's on your heart. 
Share your needs. We want to be a community that intercedes for one another, prays for one another. We need the help of the Lord. We need his healing. No one gets it right and gets everything perfect. But the invitation is always there. Always there. Every week. Every day. You let us know how we can serve you as we stand and sing and we find ways in the future to reboot what's happening here at the Eugene Church of Christ.